Ephesians chapter 4, if you would turn there with me this morning. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we are normally uh, walking through whole books of the Bible together. And uh, we are kind of taking a side note on that this morning, and we're looking at the book of Ephesians together. Reason being, uh, we're having some baptisms today during our service, and uh, it's good for us to take some time and, and look at uh, these significant things when they come up in our church. And I'd like to just spend some time looking at bap- baptism together in the Word this morning. And uh, so if you've turned there with me, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And uh, let me just start by reading that, and then we will uh, continue on. So let's look at it together, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. I'd like to begin our time this morning talking about a man by the name of Felix Mons. If you've ever heard of Felix Mons before, Felix lived between the years 1498 and 1527, so you didn't know him personally. It's okay. Uh, Felix lived in Zurich, Switzerland and as did Ulrich Zwingli, which you've probably heard of the name Zwingli before. And uh, Ulrich Zwingli was a Swiss reformer, meaning that he was seeking to reform the Catholic Church. There were many things that he believed, and as did others, that, that were out of step with biblical truth, and so they sought to reform the teachings of the church to what is biblical. Now, there were many things on the list, And so they did what they could to attack particular things at given times. But Ulrich Zwingli became a priest of Grossmünster, which is a church in Zurich, Switzerland. And uh, I was there earlier this year, so I have a picture. There's that picture I took. And uh, this is the church that Zwingli was the uh, pastor of. And uh, so he began preaching. And we talked about this. He began preaching through books of the Bible, which broke from tradition from the Catholic Church because they didn't preach through books of the Bible. They, pro- they preached through a lectionary, uh, lectionary, which means you were told what to preach, basically. And uh, Zwingli wasn't doing that. He was preaching through the Bible. And as he preached through the Bible, guess what? Some of the things that the Catholic Church was teaching were wrong. And he realized that, and he began preaching about those things at his church. Well, that's the year 1519. Oh, go to the next picture. Yeah, that's the view from the top of the church. That's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, you got to climb all these stairs and, and get to the top. And uh, anyway, yeah, what a view. Maybe our new building will have a view like that. <laughs> so fast forward, you don't think so? I'm hopeful. The year 1521, if we fast forward a couple of years, Zwingli has formed a Bible study And um, they began reading through the scriptures in their original languages, which was not the practice of most in the Catholic Church, at least for preaching purposes and teaching purposes. Uh, Latin was the language of the day. And so, but they were going back to the original languages, doing Bible study. And uh, 
then in 1522, so about a year later, uh, Felix Mons joins this Bible study. And they're, they're walking through the scriptures and they're, they're learning a lot of new things together, right? A lot of things that contradict the traditions that they had believed for so long. So there were a couple of guys here of, of note. And uh, so it was Zwingli who was the priest of the church. Felix Mons, a guy named Conrad Grable, and George Blaurock. These three guys, along with Zwingli, are really important. I promise we're going to a point here. It's not just a history lesson. They were all together seeking to free the church from its bonds of incorrect tradition. They also wanted to free the church from everything. They believed in a free church. So at Grossmunster, at this church, they broke from the lectionary, as I already said. They broke from the Catholic practice of the Eucharist, which we call the Lord's Supper. Um, they believed that the Lord's Supper was more of a symbol than it was a transformation of the elements of the bread and wine into the literal body and blood of Christ. They didn't see that as correct biblical teaching. And so they diverged on a few different areas. But generally speaking, they stood for all the Reformation stood for in general. And we talked about that with Martin Luther some. Okay, fast forward to 1524. As they start reading the scriptures together and they start to be convicted of different truths, guess what happens? Zwingli, being a Catholic priest after all, um, is kind of more settled in his Catholic beliefs and in his position, quite frankly. And so Mons and Grable, who were attending his Bible study and attending his church, they saw a couple other things that were not correct, but Zwingli wouldn't break from them. And so these guys became radicals which they became known as the radical reformers, if you've ever heard that term before. And one of the things that they disagreed with them so much on was baptism. Baptism became a hot-button issue. They loved to debate over baptism. And by the way, I'll say, some of these debates, we don't, I understand that we don't really get it in our day. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, there are stories of going to, you know, a, a bakery or something, and you would ask for a loaf of bread, and it would, you know, lead into a, a discourse regarding the Trinity. So it's, it was in the air, right? It was in the air, people talking about these types of things. And uh, I know it's, it's different um, in, in our perspective, but these things were serious to them, very serious, and so Martin Luther and, and, and Zwingli, for example, uh, they disagreed on the Lord's Supper. And it, it was such a disagreement that Martin Luther said that Zwingli is not even a Christian. He said, if he doesn't believe like I believe on the Lord's Supper, he's not even a Christian. Now, Martin Luther was a bit of an extremist. Uh, I think you know that. But anyway, these guys that were attending his Bible study started to view things as they were studying the scriptures differently than Zwingli on baptism. So eventually, uh, they separated and these guys formed a new group. You know them as the Anabaptists. You've heard that before. They didn't call themselves Anabaptists. Other people were calling them Anabaptists because it means to be baptized again. Why would you be baptized again? Because you were baptized before. When? As an infant. So the disagreement here was over infant baptism. So they decided to debate the issue. Uh, for formally. Formally debate the issue to figure out what's, what's correct. 1525. January 17th, um, they start the first debates. January 21st, a mandate was issued that demanded immediate baptism of all infants, including, including their children. 
So Felix Mons, for example, uh, having children, he was given a mandate by the church saying, you must baptize your children. He didn't do it. Instead, these guys went home and they began to study the Bible themselves. And that very day, they all said, we cannot go there with you on this. And they all baptized each other. And you might think, well, okay, so they disagreed on baptism. Why are you telling us this? Everybody disagrees about everything. That's pretty true anyway, isn't it? March 7th, 1526, an edict from the city council of Zurich. No one shall be rebaptized, otherwise, they will suffer under penalty of death. That's how serious it got. Can you, can you imagine doing something that we're doing today? You do this, it's your death. In December of 1526, Felix Mons, as kind of the leader of the group, is arrested. What are we going to do with him? He's baptizing people. He's causing problems. They hadn't followed through with really killing anybody yet. um, But they have the leader. What are they going to do with him? Make an example out of him. So they took him to this spot in the river. And uh, it's beautiful. Uh, and they decided that they were going to give him a third baptism. It's literally what they said. They made a joke out of his death. You want to be baptized again? We'll baptize you again. So they said this, word for word. Of course, not in English, but here's what it says. Mons shall be delivered to the executioner who shall tie his hands, put him into a boat, take him to the lower hut, strip him of his, uh, of his hands down over his knees, place a stick between his knees and his arms, push him into the water and let him perish in the water. And thereby he shall have atoned the law and justice. This specific spot right here in this next picture, uh, you can see this is an old drawing of the event. And uh, you can see there was a fishing hut in the middle of the river. And that's where they took him. This is actually a representation of them doing that. You see them them leading him away. And so this picture is where they uh, drew that picture from and in the next picture there, Rob. So that is the exact spot. There used to be a little fishing hut right there. And you can't see it in this picture, but there's a plaque on the ground uh, memorializing this particular spot. He was 28 years old. And as he was being led away to his death, his mother and his brother were there with him. And his mother said to him, as he was about to go into the water, remain true to Christ. Don't give in. And we might think, over baptism? For him? Yes. What is it about baptism? Let's look at the text this morning. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. I want to set us in context. Uh, Go ahead and put that next one up. These are just some summary points leading us up to uh, chapter 4. So in chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 20, he's just talking about the gospel. So just remember that this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a local church in Ephesus. That's the name of a city in Asia Minor. Okay, so he is writing this letter to a local church, 
and he begins by talking to them about the gospel of Jesus, salvation by grace through faith, and then he begins to talk to them in chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 13, about the mystery of Christ. And you might say, what is the mystery of Christ? For Paul, the mystery of Christ was the fact that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs and members of the household of God. And that's what he begins to talk to them about. So there's no longer a dividing wall of hostility, as Paul would put it, between Jews and Gentiles, but instead that has been abolished. And God has created in himself one new man in place of the two, as scripture says. So now both groups have access to the Father in one spirit. Together, they are equally members of the household of God. And they are being built together as a structure, as a house. That's, that's, the, that's the, the imagery that he wants us to have, that this, this church is like a building. All the people are like a building that, that God is putting together. And it is laid on a foundation. If the foundation is the, apost- the apostles and the prophets. They're the foundation. That's what we stand on, the apostles and prophets. And it's being built together as a house, but the thing that holds it all together is a cornerstone. And that cornerstone is Christ himself. Okay, so then Paul in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, he prays for the church. And what does he pray for the church? He prays that knowing this great mystery, that they might know it even more, that they might fully understand the love of God for them in Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for them. He wants them to know the love that God has for them in Christ Jesus. And so Paul prays for strength for them, that they might be rooted and grounded in love through faith, that they might fully grasp this love. And he ends in verse 21 by saying, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And so I might summarize all this by saying, the church exists, that is the people, the people who belong to God in Christ Jesus by faith. They exist to give glory to God So as the church, we should be seeking to give God glory in all things. And that's really the point. You have been created to give God glory. So there, you should be seeking to give God glory in all things because that is what you were created for after all, right? So if something was created for a particular purpose and it's not fulfilling that purpose, we've got a problem. The church was created to give God glory and if the church and the individual members of it are not giving God glory, we've got a problem. So then he begins to speak in chapter four where we are this morning about unity in the body that is the church. He starts to talk about unity. So let's look at verses one through three together. I do have it on the screen for you as well. Verses one through three say this. I therefore, a a prisoner for the Lord. He He was literally in prison as he was writing this. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. How? With all gentleness and humility, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What is he saying the church ought to be doing, ought to be seeking out most of all? Unity in the body. How? Humility. Bearing with one another. And to that we say? Why? Because people at times are difficult to get along with because we are people after all. We're broken. We are not perfect. We have a perfect savior, but we ourselves are are being sanctified and one day we will be perfect, but it's not here. So as we are here, we have to bear with one another. Why? Because of all things, you ought to be eager to maintain unity and not eager to maintain separation and division, divisiveness, problems, issues, 
That should not be what you want. You should want unity above all things, and therefore, you're not going to get unity if you're not bearing with one another, right? You're going to get division if you don't bear with one another because you're going to have a problem with someone in this room. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. How do you maintain unity? By bearing with them in humility. That's how. What kind of humility? Well, the humility Christ had. Look back at Philippians, right? That's how. You remember that whole thing about complaining? That we shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't be complaining. We should be bearing with one another in humility. Why? Because we ought to be unified because there is only one body. And that's what he begins to say. So look at verse 4. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So there is one body. What's the body? Is he talking about, well, just like you have one body and one spirit? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying there is one body that is the body of Christ. And there is one spirit, which is the spirit of God. And so if there is one body and there is one savior, you live in that together and therefore it should not be divided because it is not divided. Does that make sense? How would it be? Well, uh, I, don't, I don't even have to go very far with this. You know, what is it like when your body is not cooperating? Do you like that? There are different times, different situations where your body is not cooperating with you as you would like and it really messes things up for you, doesn't it? Now, we are the body of Christ. How is it when the body is not operating properly, functioning together as a unity, as it should be? Things are not as they should be. Things are not as they should be. I need to get out of here. Is that what you should be eager for, division? You ought to be eager for unity. And how can you possibly be united with a group of people if you are not humble and bearing with them in love? We need to bear with one another. Otherwise, we're going to divide all over the place. That's not going to be good. If we belong to the same Lord, there should be unity within us. But we can only have that unity if we are humble and bearing with one another in that. We are all united in Christ, one body, by the same spirit. Do you know the same spirit that lives in me by faith is the same spirit that lives in you by faith? And if we have the same spirit in us who is working in us, Aren't we not to get along? Shouldn't we have unity? Because our essential, our essential essence, who we are, has been made new. And who have we been made new in? Christ, by the Spirit. We've been made into the same thing. But we're trying to say that we're not the same thing. And that brings about division. In Ephesians 4.4, it says, One body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope which belongs to your call. One body, united people in Christ. One spirit, the one and the same spirit at work in us. One hope, the same glorious inheritance that we all are going to receive. And yet, we find it difficult to get along even though we have so much in common. And it goes to such extremes as the story I told you. We look at that and hopefully we've learned from history that we don't want to go down that path. We don't want to go down a path of being so divisive over these issues that it leads to these extreme circumstances. 
we should be eager to maintain unity with one another, given that we have been united in Christ in the same body, with the same spirit, with the same hope. I just pause. I know we're about to look at baptism, but let's just pause and reflect on that reality because you, you ought to be coming to terms with one of two things. Yes, I am seeking unity at all costs. I want to be humble. I, I, you have the same spirit in you that I have in me. And yeah, we have our differences, but oh, above all, I want unity. Can we have unity? I need to bear with them when they are failing and when they are in weakness. I need to bear with them in their struggles. Is it your goal that you bear with one another in humility? So look at verses five and six. In verses five and six, it says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who, uh, of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, you notice that it's just kind of rapid fire, a bunch of, bunch of statements here, right? Um, what's being said, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, this should be understood within the context of unity in the church, okay? Get what he's saying here. Your Lord is the same as my Lord, right? And we are servants of our Lord, right? Slaves, in fact. My orders are the same as your orders. What I'm to do with my life is what you're to do with your life, we all serve the same Lord, the same one. So therefore, our goal in life is the same, is it not? And does that not create unity? Because we have to step back and say, hey, let's remember what we're doing here. Let's remember what our goal is. Let's remember that we're all in this together. Let's remember that we all are seeking to serve Christ together. And if we zero in and focus in on something that creates division, we're gonna focus on that and it's gonna create tension, tension, tension. And we're, we gotta step back and remember, why are we even here? Because we serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. That's why we're here. We have the same Lord. We have the same hope. We have the same spirit at work in us. This should create unity and humility with one another as we bear with one another. Do you see it? One Lord, one faith, one faith. Yeah, there is one faith. There is one faith that holds us all together. What do you have faith in? You have faith in yourself this morning? Oh, I hope not. You're gonna let yourself down big time if you came in this morning with faith in yourself. You know, I, I learned, I don't know how old I was. Probably about like this. I learned when I was very young that, oh, you can't do anything. Don't you know that? You can't do anything. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the Lord taught me very early on, do not trust yourself. Do not trust yourself. But you can trust me. This is the Lord speaking to me, not me speaking to you. The Lord says, trust in me. You can trust in the Lord, you know. Do you know that trust and faith in the Lord will never let you down? You will let yourself down repeatedly. Do not trust in yourself. Do not have faith in yourself. Do not have faith in your own goodness. It's not there. You don't have enough goodness to give, but God is very good. Trust in his goodness, not in your own. It is one faith. Now, is it a summary of our faith that he's talking about? I believe actually what he's speaking of here is a summary of Christian beliefs that we all follow the same pattern of belief here. One faith, right? Because we have faith in something and not in another thing, right? So we have a particular faith. What is our faith? Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Our faith is salvation by faith in Christ, by grace. It's not of works so that no one can boast. 
that he was born of a virgin, he was God in the flesh, that he lived a sinless life, died an atoning sacrificial death on the cross, he was dead, he was raised on the third day, and now he lives in heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding for the saints. And one day he will come in glory. We have one faith. One faith. That brings unity, does it not? Actually, how does it make you feel when you hear other people in the room saying amen to something that you wholeheartedly believe? Does that create unity for you? That's why we're here. One baptism. What what does baptism do and thrown in here? Think about it this way with me. Remember, all of this is in context of unity, right? Was my baptism your baptism? Do you know the story of my baptism? That's a real question. I just thought about that. Do you know the story of my baptism? Huh? You you do? Okay, Rochelle does. Go ahead, Rochelle. No, I'm just... I was, I, was, uh, I was baptized as an infant in the United Methodist Church. Did not know the gospel, did not understand the gospel for many years. About the age of 17, I started going to a Baptist church by uh, accident and uh, heard the gospel and uh, really heard biblical teaching for the first time. I came to faith in Christ and it was there that I was uh, baptized. As I went to be baptized, I went to the pastor because I really wanted to join the church and I went to the pastor and I said, um, I was baptized as an infant, that counts, right? Uh, and he said, well, you really should be baptized again. And I said, why? I've told you this part, surely. He said, it's a formality for membership. I said, oh, well, I guess let's go ahead and check it off the list then. However, I did my own study and it was more to me when it actually occurred. I did not remain at that church for very long. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is our call? As followers of Christ, go and make more followers of Christ. And as you do, baptize them and teach them. We have people coming this morning who have come to faith in Christ and they are coming out of obedience to his call to be baptized uh, publicly. And uh, I just want to make a few notes here on why baptism is a marker here of unity within the church because the reference here is not primarily to a water baptism, but it's about a different baptism that is the same for all who have faith in Christ. And we have the same Lord, right? Same hope. We should then have what? The same baptism. That's consistent. We ought to interpret scriptures consistently. That is consistent. So there is unity. How does this baptism create unity? If and only if it is the same baptism for all of us. Was your baptism my baptism? Not by water, but in another way. By the Spirit. Mark 1.8 says, I... uh." Go ahead and go to that next one there, Rob. Let's walk through some of these. There is a ceiling of the Holy Spirit at baptism, not water baptism, but a baptism of the Spirit. Let me just read for you what it says, Mark 1a. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. There it is. That, that's the imagery that we need to understand, right, about the body, is that we were all in one spirit. There is the unity. It's the same. We were all baptized into one body. How did we get into this body? By baptism of the spirit. Jew, Greek, slave, free. You understand what that means, right? Doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, your baptism by the Spirit unifies all of us. Doesn't matter how old you are, what color your skin is, what language you speak, where you're from, it unifies all of us by the baptism of the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What is the sealing that occurs? The sealing that occurs is the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the point of faith. So it is not water baptism that seals a person, but it is baptism. But it is baptism by the Spirit of God. And this is not something that happens as an add-on to salvation, but the sealing of the Spirit in our hearing and believing the gospel works in partnership as simultaneous events of the Spirit coming in and giving us faith, as Paul would say in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So there is a sealing of the Holy Spirit, but there is more. Why then do we do this publicly? What is the point of putting someone under water? I have always thought it a strange thing, do you not? That we have like a pool of water. Sometimes they're fancy. Sometimes there's something that animals drink out of. We have this water and we put somebody in it in front of everybody else and then we clap. I mean, good job. You just took a bath, you know? Uh, why do we do this thing in front of people? It's odd, right? It is odd. Why do we do it? We should not ever do something merely out of tradition for tradition's sake. We do not baptize people because that's what you do in church. You baptize people. You know, get your life together, cleaned up, start going back to church, baptize them. Wrong, incorrect. So then why do we baptize people? I'll read for you just a short story here out of Acts chapter 19. I'm going <clears> to <throat> I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to try to roll with this a little faster. I I intended. I even told people, I'm not going to be I'm going to be short this morning. I'm going to be short. Because I want to get to the baptisms. That's exciting. Guys, it's just not working out. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm getting there. I'm working my way through it. Okay, Acts 19, verses 1 through 5, it says, this is an important story. If you're walking away with a story this morning, hear me on this one, okay? Uh, Acts 19, 1 through 5, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. The, the letter to the Ephesian church is the one that we're reading to this morning. And he found some disciples in Ephesus. He found some disciples there. And he said to them, listen to the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? Listen to the question. Into what then were you baptized? And so they said, well, we have an answer for you. We were baptized into John's baptism. That is John the Baptist. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What just occurred? They were rebaptized. Why? 
because they did not draw a proper connection between the symbolism of the Holy Spirit and baptism. They didn't have a proper understanding of what baptism was. I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. I was, I was baptized looking forward to Christ. They were. They just said that. They were baptized looking forward to Christ. And Paul said, but you don't understand your faith. You're not understanding. And when you were baptized then, you didn't, the fullness of the gospel was not there. You need to be rebaptized. Why? It shows us that baptism is not our point of salvation, but it is in reference to a symbolic, uh, to, to something that happened to us. And so it's a symbolic act. Symbolism is very significant here, just as the Lord's Supper is symbolic to us rather than the actual body and blood of Christ. It's symbolic of the body and blood of Christ. And so in the same way, when we are immersed, which is what the word baptized means, means to immerse, when we are immersed in water, it is a symbol of a baptism that has occurred in our life. What baptism? The baptism of the Spirit. Do you see the connection between water baptism and the baptism of the Spirit? Now, there is more symbolism and that the New Testament pulls out that I, that I just want to cover before we close in this time together. You know, the reason I'm doing this this morning is because I did not want you to come to church, witness a baptism, clap, say good for you, and then go home. But instead, I want you to see that there is a real significance to what's happening here. And I believe that if we can see the true biblical significance of water baptism, that we are going to see this as a significant event in their lives together and we can truly celebrate with them, truly celebrate with them for what Christ has done in their life. It's far more than dedicating yourself to a church. It's an acknowledgement that something internal has happened and they want to make it known on the mountaintops. Water baptism symbolizes spirit baptism, as we've discussed. It also symbolizes forgiveness, death, life, and resurrection. So I just would like to read just a few passages uh, as we uh, close this, this time together. Uh, if you can, if you are a note taker or something, or at least just take your phone out, take a picture of the screen, look at some of those references. I'm going to read them. But these are significant verses. Romans 6, 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Think about what happens. What do you see with your eyes when you witness baptism? Someone being buried in the water and then raised from that to life. That's what it's intended to symbolize. Yes, a cleansing, a washing by the atonement of Christ, no doubt. But there is also burial in the water, and a resurrection to life so that when they get out of the water, it's a testimony to everyone here that what? I have been changed by Christ. The Spirit is at work in me. And now by the Spirit, I have new life. And I intend to live my life in obedience to Christ. And all of you witnesses, hold me accountable to this moment. 
Hold me accountable. I told you that I was changed. I told you that Christ saved me by faith. I told you that I died to myself and I was raised to walk in new life. Hold me accountable to it. See that I follow it through. Help me follow this through. How? By bearing with me because I'm gonna make a lot of mistakes. Be eager to maintain unity with me because my baptism is the same as yours. Can we make that commitment to the people being baptized this morning? I am there with you in this. I know it's going to be a struggle, but can we come alongside them and help them? Yes, we should. Colossians, see, that's what makes me go along. I can't preach each of these passages. Colossians 2, 11 through 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. So there is a correlation then between what? Between your baptism and faith. Because those who were baptized were raised how? In faith. If you were baptized without faith, you stay in the water. It is faith that raises you up out of the water for newness of life in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. As he raised Jesus Christ from the grave, he raises you from the grave. Symbolize that today. Do you see it? 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Uh-oh. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, though, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's being referenced there? The fact that you're being dipped in water, that's the cleansing. It's not the water that saves you, obviously. But you were baptized when you came to faith and that showed the fact that you have been saved. And that's the reference. Galatians 3, 26 through 28, and I'm gonna end on this one. For in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. All those who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is a connection between believing, faith, and baptism. For as many of you were were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's not male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you see the amazing unity there? Is it hard for us to lose perspective on unity? Or, back up. Is it easy for us to lose perspective on unity? Oh, maybe you disagree. Is it easy for us to lose perspective on unity? Do sometimes we get tunnel vision? And we are not eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, but no, we are eager for division. Forgetting that we all have the same Lord We have the same hope. We have the same Father. We are all in this together. We are not enemies. We have had faith in Christ. Our baptism shows that to the world. We are ready to bring in three more people today who say, I am with this too. I'm here with you too. The things you believe, I believe. The the baptism of the Spirit is mine. I have had faith in Christ. I'm ready to walk this newness of life with you. And they're here to proclaim that today with you. And I hope that you're excited to see that great event that is very significant in their lives. And I hope you're ready to rejoice with them. But as we do that, I hope that we maintain a proper perspective on what baptism actually is and what it is not. It is not a formality, certainly. But it is representational of an internal reality that has taken place in these individuals. 
I've had the privilege of talking to all three of them and uh, love all three of them dearly. And I am so excited to uh, be part of this day with them. And I hope that you are too. So we're going to close this time and we're going to sing one song as they prepare. And uh, after that song, we're going to move into our time of of, uh, baptisms and they're all going to read their testimonies for you this morning. And uh, then we'll kind of end in a celebration song together. Okay, so that's what we're going to do moving forward. So let's all pray together. Lord, we're grateful for the time that we've been able to spend together in your word. Of course, I wish it was more. We probably could have gone on about that for a long time. And I'm just, because it's such a great, amazing reality, and we see it just all over the scriptures, tying in this concept of unity. You desire your people to be unified, not divided. And so I pray that you would help all of us by your spirit to overcome these things that want to make us divide and create in us a unified church that just seeks to live for you entirely completely but what that takes is humility what that takes is bearing with one another what that takes is being there as an encouragement and a help to one another knowing that we all have the same spirit in us we all have the same lord we all have the same hope we all have the same father we all have the same baptism of the spirit god i pray help us help us to see the big picture Help us to joyfully be unified together as a church. I pray for these baptisms coming up. Lord, I pray that they are a blessing to you. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing one song together, okay?
So first, we're going to call Mason down here. If you don't know Mason, this is Mason, everybody, Mason. You should know Mason. Sorry about that. So this is Mason, and I uh, had the privilege of knowing Mason for, I don't even know how long now, over, I mean, a year and a half, two years, a year and a half? year and a half, something like that, and uh, him and uh, Morgan uh, started coming to the church and uh, had lots of conversation with uh, with him, and his coming up to this day has been months in progress, hasn't it? So uh, I'm excited to be here with him today, and he's going to read for you his testimony, and I uh, hope you enjoy. So I grew up attending church every Sunday. My parents put a lot of value in uh, regularly attending, and it displayed for me the importance of being in church every week. The gospel was shared during most Sunday sermons, so I had the knowledge of what the gospel meant. However, there was no change in my sin-filled life. I also didn't fully understand what it meant to have faith in Christ. And then my life would look completely different due to my salvation gifted to me by Christ. As I grew up in church, I knew that baptism is something that a Christian is supposed to do, and I felt the pressure to be baptized because according to my immediate family and church family, I was a believer. And I was then baptized during my sophomore year of high school, and at the time, others who attended the same church were stepping up and sharing that they wanted to be baptized, so I went along with what at the time I thought was correct and biblical. However, as I look back and reflect on my life, there was no heart change, there was no mindset change, and there was no faith in Christ. I did not meditate on God's word daily, and I was not attempting to live my life in obedience to Christ. I was still uh, living my life based on what felt good to me rather than following the word of God. On the outside, it looked like my life was put together. I was a rule follower, and I was, always around, and I was all around a good person, but the inside looked completely different. I was filled with lies, lust, and selfishness. Through those sinful actions, 
came consequences that brought guilt and shame to my life. From these previous consequences, my membership at my previous church was revoked. I felt as if I had let everyone in my life down. People from my hometown would say they never expected this from me. I was in a dark place during this time in my life, and I felt scared and trapped. Through this tar- dark time, I, th- I started to put my, faith, my trust and faith in Christ. I went to a bookstore and bought myself a Bible, which I started to read each day. My thoughts and actions were filled and surrounded by Christ. And there was not a day that went by where I did not pray or think about the Lord. Although I cannot pinpoint a specific date of my salvation, I can see that there was a change in my heart when I was a sophomore in college. As time progressed, Morgan and I started dating and eventually married. We started going to a local church here in Sparta. And for a period of time, I really enjoyed attending there because the style of the church was something different than the church I grew up in. Eventually, I started to question the things being taught rather than accepting it as truth because someone told me it was true. I began to look more critical at the Word of God and compared that to what was being taught. I knew from that that point on I wanted to lead my family in the truth of what God's Word says and that we needed to sit under faithful stewardship and teaching of His Word. God eventually blessed us to be able to walk through the doors of FRC, and I knew after the first time we attended a Sunday service that this is where our family needed to be. I began to understand what my life as a Christian should be, I realize now that I was not a believer at, the t- at my first baptism. So now that I have faith in Christ, I'm here today to take the steps toward discipleship and be baptized. A few ber- verses out of 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, 6-11 through 11 stand out to me as I share my testimony with you all. Because Peter tells us that we're all going to suffer as we live, off our li- live out our lives on this earth. But we are to humble ourselves before our God and cast our anxieties onto him. We serve a gracious Father who will restore us, uh, restore, confirm, and strengthen us. Scripture says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to attempt to use this one. Is it okay? There we go. Okay. All right. Go ahead and get your knees. Mason, I'm glad that we're here today. And based on your profession of faith, I'm here today to baptize you as a brother in Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next, we're going to welcome down Mason's wife, Morgan, and uh, Morgan's going to come and share her testimony with us. In my early childhood, going to church was a once in a blue moon thing. My family was living in Southern California at the time where athletic events occupied every weekend. It wasn't until we moved to Tennessee that we regularly attended church, in which I was 11 years old. I can remember the pressure my parents felt to attend church because we now lived in the Bible Belt. I can remember the dread of having to go sit through another church service. I felt bored, uninterested, and frankly, like it was a waste of my time. 
The church message every week all seemed the same. God loves you, so he sent his son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. I believed in this basic principle, so I decided to jump on the bandwagon and be baptized. I occasionally would pray and ask for forgiveness from time to time, but that was the extent of my relationship with God. Looking back on this, I know now that I did not have saving faith at this time. Fast forward a few years later, tragedy struck my family when my 17-year-old sister had passed away. I remember witnessing my parents resent God and question his intentions for her short-lived life. We slowly stopped attending church until we stopped attending altogether. It wasn't until I entered into a Christian college where biblical courses and chapel services were required for me to attend um, that my heart for Jesus began to open. I began to self-examine what my purpose on this earth truly was. I quickly realized that all my joy stemmed from relationships and success in athletics rather than true joy that can only be found in Jesus. As I dug deeper into scripture, I felt the presence of God changing my heart and my circumstances. For the first time in my life, I experienced the true joy of Jesus. I didn't need a relationship or to be the best on the team to feel worthy. For the first time, I felt peace with my circumstances and life as it was. It was at this point that I came to true saving faith in Jesus. God began to bless me with a faithful man that became my husband, a daughter to love and whom I can teach the importance of the gospel to. Life was good. I enjoyed going to church because it felt good. I liked what the preacher said and the worship was meaningful, but after time, our family realized that church is not about what feels good to us. It is about biblical truth, not the programs the church can provide or the worship that makes us feel good. That is when God opened the doors to Fellowship Renewed Church, the only church I have ever attended that felt like home from the start. The unwavering biblical teaching and intentional worship is exactly where God intended our family to be. Romans 5.13 says, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Since I have attended FRC, I have come to understand more about my salvation and the things that should be a part of my life as a Christian. I realized that I was not a believer when I was first baptized. Now that I have faith in Christ, I'm here today to take the steps of discipleship by being baptized and committing myself to the church. All right, Morgan, I'm so glad to be here with you today. And uh, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you as a sister in Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right, where's he at? All right, bring Sammy on down. If you don't know Sammy, you're missing out on something in your life. I love Sammy to death. I'm looking forward to knowing him more and more and more as time goes on. And uh, Sammy's going to share a little bit of his story with you now. My name is Sammy Rose. I'm from Sparta, Tennessee, and I've lived here as long as I can remember. I began attending Fellowship Renewed Church around a few years ago, and now I am excited to be baptized in this church. Throughout my whole life, I have lived in a Christian household. I would go to church when someone would make me or if it was a holiday. I never really wanted to go. I first became interested in really being a Christian in October of last year. I didn't really understand what it was to be a Christian, nor why I would want to. I got an interest in church because I saw that my thoughts were wrong and I wanted to learn the right way to think. So I started to go to church more. 
This summer, I realized that I was a sinner and I needed to put my faith in God because that this is the only way to make it right, and I want to follow Jesus. This involves changing my life for God, going to church, and actually living a Christian life by obeying his word. This is why I want to be baptized. I want to publicly pronounce my faith. My baptism will represent the fact that my sins have been washed away and I've been reborn through Christ. I want to be an active member in Fellowship Renewed Church, and I ask for accountability from the church as I become a part of this loving family. I desire to be faithful to Jesus, and I know that this involves making God an active part in my everyday life. Sammy, I'm very excited to be here with you today, and I'm thrilled to baptize you as a brother in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) 